All right. Hey, as we get started, question for you. Anybody like camping? Oh. Nice. Yeah. Uh, not me. Uh, I definitely, I don't like camping. Not a camping guy. Uh, if I'm going to camp, if I'm going to camp, I need, I need a cabin, not a tent. I need running water. I need actual bathrooms. Like I could, I could go glamping, but I don't, I don't want to go actual camping. Not my idea of a good time. I was made, I was made for the suburbs, y'all. I was made for the suburbs, not for the wilderness. I was not made for the wilderness. So, uh, can I tell you guys about my most intense wilderness experience? Okay. So, story time. Uh, in college, shh, in college, uh, I lived in Jerusalem for a semester. I was studying abroad. And uh, I did, yes, it's actually true. Um, and one of my classes while I was studying abroad, we took a field trip to Jordan. And if you're not super familiar with your Middle Eastern geography, uh, you've got Israel right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Then the Jordan River divides the modern country of Israel from the modern country of Jordan. And actually, a huge part of our Old Testament takes place not in Israel, but in Jordan, uh, especially the part where uh, the Israelites, right, the people of God, they've been enslaved in Egypt. They come out of slavery and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Um, that part all takes place in Jordan. And so that's where we went. We went to a place that now is called Wadi Rum, and it's in southern Jordan near the Red Sea, we went into the wilderness. But the wilderness isn't like the wilderness that you're probably picturing. Like if you're picturing in your brain like giant trees, big forests, like grizzly bears, like nope, that's Alaska. Um, when the Bible talks about the wilderness, think more desert. Think camels. Think snakes. Think scorpions. So the, these are pictures that I took of Wadi Rum uh, in southern Jordan uh, where we were. And uh, you might notice, like, this place kind of looks like the planet Mars, like the red sand, the rock formations. And actually, fun fact, uh, movies like The Martian and Dune, they, they film them here in Wadi Rum. Actually, I've got a picture of me doing the Matt Damon thing. Look it. Look it. Look it. Look it. I know. It like literally is Mars, right? How cool. Yes, exactly. Yep. The, pers the perspective is different, but what? I am him. Okay. Here's the point, y'all. Don't miss this. Here's the point. Don't miss this. Just like I went into the wilderness, away from the comforts of running water, bathrooms, and other amenities that I would prefer to have, so that I could learn, and specifically so I could learn what it was like for Israel to wander in the wilderness. I went out into the wilderness to learn. I believe that God also brings us into the wilderness so that we can learn more about him. So that he can teach us things about who he is. 
So we're going to step into a brand new series starting this week called Wild. The series is called Wild. Over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about just what that we find when we follow Jesus out into the wild. There's a ton of different wilderness stories in the scriptures, and as we go through different stories of what it's like to be in the wilderness, we're going to see that in the wilderness we face temptation, we face trials, we're going to see that we encounter restoration, that we receive instruction, and it's actually in the wilderness too that we move from death into real life. And so I believe that without an identity secure in Christ, wilderness seasons in your life will hurt. That's why actually our first series this year was all about identity. Like we spent weeks just just talking about what does it mean to have an identity rooted in Christ because if you don't have that identity rooted in Christ, when you're in the wilderness, it's going to, it's going to hurt. And these wilderness seasons in your life, they're, they're inevitable. They're coming. Like, you better be ready. It's not an if, it's, it's a when. You're going to go through times in your life when the pressures of school and sports and social life are, like, crushing down on you. And it's going to feel like it's a wilderness season. You're, you're going to go through seasons maybe where things are really financially tough for your family, and it's going to feel like a wilderness type of season. You're going to go through times in your life when like your mental health is a struggle, and it's going to feel like it's a, a wilderness season. You're going to go through seasons where it's hard to hear from God, but I believe, I believe that even though like these types of wilderness seasons are coming for sure, I believe that God meets you in your wilderness and he leads you through the wilderness. So tonight I want to look at the first thing that we find in the wilderness, which is temptation. In the wilderness we find temptation. So let's kind of set some parameters for this discussion, okay? I want to start with maybe like the origin of temptation. There's really three places in your life that temptation might come from. Those three things are the world, your own flesh, and the devil himself, right? The world, like this system of ideas and values that you encounter daily, like you know what I'm talking about. You hear it at school. You see it on the news. Like the world has value propositions that it's trying to push on you. And those might lead you to temptation. Your own flesh, your desires, because you're under the curse of sin, like your own flesh is like fighting against you and your own flesh might be the thing that's tempting you. And the devil himself, the enemy, he tempts us too. Notice who's not on there. God. God does not tempt us. That's the origin of temptation. The second thing I want you to know about temptation before we get going is that temptation does not equal sin. Okay? If you are tempted, that does not mean that you are sinning. Temptation is inevitable. Jesus himself, we're going to see in the text tonight, was tempted. Temptation doesn't mean you sin. Sinning is giving into that temptation. It's accepting that temptation and acting on that temptation. 
but being tempted does not equal sin. That's important for us to know. And the third thing is I want to give us sort of like a, a definition of sin that I think will be helpful for us. So, uh, Christy, go ahead and put this on the screen. If you're like a, a note taker, take some time and be write this down. This is a, a definition of temptation that I think will help wrap our heads around what we're talking about, right? Something that tries to get you to believe that there is a need that God cannot meet, right? When we are tempted, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil trying to convince you that there is something that's a need for you and God can't fulfill it. So that's kind of our our three parameters as we start this conversation, right? The origins of temptation, it's coming from the world, it's coming from our flesh, it's coming from the devil himself. Temptation does not equal sin. And temptation is anything trying to convince you that you have a need that God is unable to meet. So if you walk out of here with one thing, my kind of big idea for tonight's message, I want it to be this. When you face temptation in the wilderness, fight like Jesus. When you face temptation in the wilderness, I want you to fight like Jesus. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight. If you don't have a physical copy of your Bible, pull out your phone, go to the Bible app. It's the most downloaded app on the App Store, so chances are you have it. But if you're on your phone, don't be tempted to text people, be on social media, that kind of stuff, like lock in. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start right away in verse 1, so go ahead and make your way there. We're going to look at this moment in Jesus' life where Jesus' identity comes under attack while he is in the wilderness. And so I believe, as as all Christians before me for 2,000 years have believed, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% human 100% of the time. Jesus lived the human life perfectly and without sin. So if we want to learn what it means to be truly human, we have to look at Jesus. What we're going to see in this passage in Matthew chapter 4 is that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and then Satan, the devil, tries to take advantage of Jesus when he's in that vulnerable place, tries to attack the identity of Jesus. And, And this whole scene, it's coming right on the heels of one of the most spiritually significant moments in Jesus's whole life. Literally in chapter three, right before we get to chapter four, Jesus is baptized by John. And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus and the voice of God the Father is audibly heard saying, this is my beloved son. Like an identity is spoken over Jesus and the next chapter, he's in the wilderness and he gets tempted, he gets attacked by Satan. But Jesus knows how to fight temptation. So if you got your Bible, Matthew chapter four, Uh, It'll be up on the screens if you don't, but Matthew chapter 4, follow along with me. Uh, My Bible says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil, he came and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become 
loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he'll order his angels to protect you and and they'll hold you up with their hands and, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said. If you will kneel down and worship me, Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So in the wilderness, Satan attacks three distinct aspects of Jesus' identity. It all kind of deals with him being the son of God. But Jesus fights back. When you are in a wilderness season of your own, when you feel vulnerable, Satan might try to attack your identity too. So let's learn from Jesus. My first point tonight is this, you guys. Temptation to not trust in God's provision. When you are in the wilderness, there might be that temptation to not trust God's provision. Right? So get this story. Jesus, he's been out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's fasting. That means he's not eating. He's not drinking. The longest that I've ever gone without eating was like two days a few years ago when I had COVID and I like couldn't smell, I couldn't taste. And so I didn't want to eat anything because it was all just like mush in my mouth. It was the worst period of my life like ever. But 40 days, 40 days, like I can't even imagine how hungry Jesus would have been. So Satan attacks Jesus when he thinks Jesus is at his weakest moment. And he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, you can just tell these stones to become bread and you can, you can feed yourself, Jesus. But this attack, this attack is more than, than just trying to exploit Jesus' weakness of hunger. This is an identity attack. Jesus literally, in chapter three, right before the passage we just read, heard God the Father say, this is my beloved son. And we all know good dads take care of their kids. In fact, Jesus is going to preach a message known as the Sermon on the Mount, like a few chapters later in Matthew. And Jesus is going to use this exact analogy in his sermon. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, You parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Like, of course not. No. Good parents know how to take care of their kids. Satan is trying to attack Jesus' trust that his heavenly father will provide for him. Satan is attacking 
Jesus' trust that his heavenly Father will meet his needs. He's trying to convince Jesus that God can't be trusted. That's the attack. Satan tempts Jesus. You don't need to trust your Father to provide for you. You can just provide for yourself. Take matters into your own hands. You don't need God in this equation at all, Jesus. Tell the stones to become bread. So if you feel like you are in a wilderness season, there might be the temptation. You might encounter this specific temptation to try and fix your situation without God. My guess is Satan's probably already tried this attack on you. He's tried to undermine your trust in God that God can actually meet your needs. He's tempted you to believe that that God doesn't care about the fact that you're hurting, that God is unconcerned with what's going on in your life right now. He's trying to convince you that God cannot be trusted with all of the things going on in your life. I think if you're honest, I think you, you know that you've been there before, and maybe, maybe you're even there right now. You've kind of been, been asking God to, to heal somebody in your family, and, and God hasn't done that yet. Or maybe you've been asking God for direction, and you just feel like he hasn't really been clear. Maybe you've been asking God to like restore a broken friendship, and, and that hasn't happened yet. The enemy, he's just whispering lies to you that because God hasn't done X, Y, or Z, then God doesn't care about you. So what can you do about it? Jesus, when he was weak with hunger, been in the wilderness for 40 days, he fights back against temptation. And he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, from the Bible. He actually quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scripture that Jesus is quoting is from when Israel was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God fed them with bread that rained down from heaven, manna. The people of God, they didn't make it through the wilderness just because they had bread to eat. They made it through because it was God himself who gave them the bread. They made it through because God came through. Right? The people of God made it through because God came through. And it's that example that Jesus, he gives you tonight. When Satan threatens, like, your trust in God's provision, when he tempts you to distrust God, fight back by quoting scripture. Fight back by remembering all the times that God has come through for you. Maybe there's times when God has come through for your family and your family's history. Like, remember that. Meditate on the word. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted to not trust in God's provision. The second temptation that Satan tries is to try and convince Jesus that he can't trust in God's protection. 
So that's point number two if you're a note taker. Temptation to not believe in God's protection. It's almost like Satan takes the first temptation and flips it in on itself, like inverts it. At first, Satan's attack on the identity of Jesus is trying to get him to believe that God doesn't care about him. But now, but now he's trying to get Jesus to say like, okay, like let's test how much God cares about me. Let's see how trustworthy God is. So Satan, he takes Jesus up to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. It's like 450 feet in the air. And he's like, hey, jump off. Jump off. Satan quotes scripture at Jesus. He's like, hey, I know the Bible too. Uh, doesn't it say that, you know, in Psalm 91, that the angels will take care of you? Doesn't it say that they're going to catch you? Doesn't it say that you won't get hurt? Satan, he's actually misquoting Psalm 91. So let's, let's understand what Satan's trying to do here. If the first attack is trying to undermine Jesus' trust in God's provision, the second attack The second attack is trying to get Jesus to test God's protection, to force God to prove himself. And when you're in the wilderness, you might be tempted to force God into proving himself. But here's the deal, y'all. God will not be manipulated by anybody. Even someone who has an identity rooted in Jesus, someone who's committed to following Christ, like, you don't get to manipulate God. Imagine, imagine if I said, like, God, like, I'm a pastor, therefore you have to do this for me. That's not how this works. If you run around with toxic people, getting into difficult situations, threatening situations, if you deliberately put yourself into harm's way, And just think like, oh, I'm a Christian. God's going to bail me out. I think you're going to suffer. I think it's going to hurt. God can't be forced into performing for you. He's not like a genie in a lamp where you get to like just have him grant your three wishes. He's not some butler up in the sky who just swoops in and cleans up the mess after you're done. God is king of the universe. And he loves you. And he wants to provide for you. And he wants to protect you. But you can't twist his arm into doing anything. And the way that he chooses to work is often not the way that we would anticipate him working in our lives. But Jesus, he fights this attack the same way he did the first one. He quotes scripture back at Satan. He says, you must not test the Lord your God. Another quote from Deuteronomy. Are you seeing the pattern of how to fight? Use the word of God as your wilderness weapon. When you are in the seasons where it is the hardest, use the truth of God. Remember it. Meditate on it. It's your weapon to fight back against temptation. So Jesus' identity comes under attack in the wilderness and he's tempted to distrust God's provision. Then he's tempted to test God's protection. But Satan has one more trick up his sleeve. Satan has one more thing that he's going to try. He goes after Jesus' identity by calling his significance into question. 
and in the wilderness, that might be one of the most powerful temptations that we face, the temptation to chase significance. So the New Testament, right, second half of our Bible, refers to Satan as the prince of the powers of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. It calls him the ruler of the world in John chapter 12. God, in his sovereignty, by his decision, is currently allowing Satan to exert influence over the world. I mean, we see that everywhere we look, don't we? We see the influence that the devil has in all aspects of our culture. And so for his last attack, he takes Jesus up to this mountain. And Satan shows off just how much influence he has. Shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He shows Jesus what, it's, what it looks like to rule over nations. He shows Jesus the end game. He shows Jesus exactly what it's going to look like for Jesus to be king over the whole earth. He shows Jesus what it looks like to be significant and to have influence. And all Jesus has to do to get it is bow down to Satan. That's all he has to do, and he gets everything. One commentator that I was reading, he, he put it like this. I'll put this quote on the screen too. He said that this was the particular thrust of the third temptation to gain universal dominion back from the usurper prince, but to do so by striking a bargain with him rather than striking him through the heart with the wood of the cross. You see, Jesus knew the plan. Jesus was to be king, but not like this. Jesus was to have the name that is greater than every other name, but not this way. Jesus was to be the most influential person that the world has ever seen. But to do it this way, to do it this way would have been counterfeit. Satan offered Jesus the easy way to get something that in actuality was already his. But he had to turn his back on God in order to get it now. We're living in a world where the shortcut to influence is a 15-second viral video. We're living in a world where if you ask someone under the age of 16, that would be you, what do you want to be when you grow up? The most common answers are YouTuber, streamer, or content creator. We're living in a world, you guys, where everybody thinks, shh, we're living in a world where everybody thinks, if I can just get someone to notice me, then I will be significant. Then I will matter. Friends, here's the truth. You need to matter. It's actually coded in your DNA as a human being. One of your core needs is to matter. The problem comes when we try to have our needs met in a way that is outside of the way that God has designed our needs to be met. The problem comes when we try to outpace God's timing. That's what sin is. It's rebellion. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. 
Jesus responds to this last identity attack the same way that he did the two times before. He turns again to the book of Deuteronomy and he tells Satan in no uncertain terms that he will only worship a God and he will wait for the God-appointed time to win the victory over sin and death forever. If you want influence, if you want to be significant, if you want to matter, be like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Instead of bowing down to the enemy and giving into the world and its, its value systems, Jesus stood on the truth. You should stand on God's truth. Instead of taking a shortcut to status, Jesus took the long road of faithfulness. Be faithful to God over a long period of time. Instead of seizing counterfeit power, Jesus became the servant who suffered for us. Serve other people. That's the example that Jesus gives for us. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 4. It's verse 15. It says, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted, just as we are, yet is without sin. That's the example of Jesus. He's not distant and far off where he can't understand what it's like to go through what you're going through. He's gone through everything that you're going through, and he made it out without sin. He's the example. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be you. He knows exactly what it's like to be in the wilderness. He knows what it's like to be tempted by the world and our flesh and the devil. The question is, do you trust that God will provide for you? The question is, are you testing whether or not God will protect you? The question is, are you chasing significance outside of the ways that God has allowed for that need to be met? The enemy, he's going to use provision, protection, significance to threaten your identity. But remember, the big idea from tonight, when you face temptation, when you're in a wilderness season and you're being tempted, fight like Jesus. So here's what I want to do as we kind of close out our night. I've got uh, some note cards up here. And uh, there might be something that you are currently feeling tempted by a struggle that you're experiencing. whole number of different things. Maybe you're tempted to lie to make yourself look better. Maybe you're tempted to vape or to drink because there's people around you doing it. Maybe you're tempted to be a people pleaser. Maybe you're tempted to be afraid of what's coming in the future. All kinds of things that may or may not be a temptation for you. So I'm going to put them on the screen. There's kind of a list of them, right? Tempted to gossip about someone. Tempted to get angry quickly. Tempted to be lazy instead of working hard. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know the thing that you're struggling with, the temptation that you're encountering most frequently. But here's what I do know. If we want to be like Jesus, our way to fight back is through God's word. It's through the scriptures. So what I think would be a useful time for our last 15 minutes together tonight is if whatever your thing is, and if you're like, mm, my thing's not really listed on there, the last one, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that one would be for you. I think it would be a useful last 15 minutes if you took a note card, 
made it into like a flashcard of that verse. And let's work on memorizing that verse. So when the next time you are confronted with that temptation, you know where to go because you've got it stored up here. Like I want everyone to have like, boom, scripture recalled right away when you face temptation because that's the example that Jesus sets for us. Does that make sense? So um, I've got note cards. We've got pens in the room. Maybe you brought a pen with you. But I think you should grab a note card, grab a Bible. And you can do this in groups. That's okay too. And make a flashcard. Like on one side of the flashcard, write the verse reference. You know, write Romans 12.2. And then on the other side of the note card, write out the verse. And then start quizzing yourself and quizzing your friends. And try to leave here tonight with one verse memorized so that when you fight temptation, you know where to go. Does that make sense? Okay, Mercy, you want to help me distribute note cards?